Welcome to another Sunday, another edition of Objection to the Rule. We have another Frankenstein show for you to get today, all stitched together. See if we can reanimate <laughs> this, uh, whatever um, word you can use for that analogy. We're going to talk about Budget Cut Sukuni, the death of a bedside community member to the coronavirus, Ahmed Aubrey. A very cool story about Ireland and native communities in the U.S., gold mining around the world, pollution, a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to start off with some local, a local segment that I, Matthew Schneeman, produced about Lloyd Porter, who was a Bedside community member, musician, uh, restaurateur of sorts, and uh, had a big effect on a lot of people. And here's an interview with Thomas Piper, one of the many who he had a big effect on. Earlier this week, I talked to Thomas Piper, local musician, producer, and performer. Hello. Hello, Thomas. This is Matthew Schneeman. Hey, how are you, man? Community member, and some would say community leader, Lloyd Porter had just died. Thomas was friends with him. I called to record a short interview about that impact. So, welcome back to Objection to the Rule. Here's a little local story. Lloyd Porter just died. Lloyd was known for his fashion, his music, being a advocate for the arts. How, how would you give him a, a short bio? And Lloyd recently just died of uh, COVID-19, I believe. It's not like I haven't seen like articles, but I think... Um, yeah, right? I'm pretty much sure. He was on a ventilator and all that stuff. So he had, I mean, I'm pretty much sure that's what it was. Um, I think that's what it was. Um yeah, I mean, the one he was the mayor. I mean, he, 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 if you walk down the block with him, he talked to thirty million people. There's a there's like a almost like a ministry component to him. Like, a, I mean, his, his I think his mother came from a ministry thing. So, you know, so there's so much stuff that he did. Like, yeah, and the, the, the mayor of I mean? Brooklyn, I've heard him referred to. Uh, yeah, you're I mean, you're I mean, a wonderful musician in your own right, uh, which uh, maybe will go out and come in with a little bit of your own music. Uh, why do you think? But besides, like music and the arts aside, it really seemed like he was like a ultra uh, benevolent extrovert. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, he's he was the what an extrovert should be. <laughs> you know, not. It, and not just for himself, you know, I mean, he, 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 you know, he'd be like, what you need? You know, he would say that, what you, what, what you, what you trying to do? I mean, he would always ask you what you wanted. He'd always ask you what you wanted and not just me. I mean, everyone, I mean, you know, my girlfriend, my partner, we've been together forever. And I think he must've gotten her so many jobs. I don't know if we'd survive here if it wasn't for him. You know, like like literally at least three of her jobs to keep her living. And me, too. I got I used to work and do some um, freelance for Motema Records, which was his, you know, his brother's Gregory Porter. And 
um, I got that through him. <laughs> like, and just that, yeah. His brother, I think, is included in. Uh, someone posted a StoryCorps excerpt uh, that I'll I'll include in this piece with his, his and his brother talking about uh, their mom and and growing up. You didn't happen to know his mother, did you? No, I think she passed away before I even hmm. got you know to know him. But um, yeah, his mother was was into ministry and would go out and help people. Tell me about mom. If you were sick, stressed out about something, or whatever, I remember many times mom coming in, sometimes in the middle of the night. She loved waking you up in the middle of the night. Either she had a dream about you, or was thinking about you, so you'd be sitting up at the end of your bed, and she'd put that hand on your back, take your head, and bring it to her bosom, you know, rub your back (laughs) counterclockwise. It was just like... Why do my troubles seem so minuscule right now? You know, that was what she did. I think they went out and did that. And that's what he does. You know, I mean, you know, it got to the point where it, 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 I, I know in our house, we'd go, oh, yeah, I, I, man, this isn't something wasn't working. And you know how to fix it up. Let me call Lloyd and see what he's saying. <laughs> that it's difficult for me to write a song that doesn't have something about her in it. So, okay, I, so I had this relationship go bad. I wrote a song, and I, I'm like, this is the furthest thing from my mother. But some, my mother, she crept into the lyrics. I feel just like a kite, but one without a string. One that is floating around. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I wish my mama was here. A strong, a strong, steady rose. And and people like him were were there for you to make sure that everybody did better. She would know what to do, what to say, how to pray to make things better. He almost sounds like a community resource, like someone who we really he wanted need to make right sure. Now. Yeah, yeah, you want somebody to. It wasn't just about money. He wanted you to be okay. You are you okay? What do you need? You know. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, and um, that in itself, especially in these times, you know, where every like I said, everything's about well, the businesses have to open up, even if all these people die. We don't care. <laughs> you know, it, it's crazy. It's wonderful to see you draw strength and wisdom from your your friend that you just lost, and I I hope that he continues to uh, to live on through you and all the people that that uh, that he's touched. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, I think he's changed this. I know he's changed me for a better person. He's just, I mean, I just felt like I've never met anyone like him ever. That's hard to say. You know, like people say it, but I mean, you know, I mean, I was a little sad. It felt like my Brooklyn died, hmm. you know, that that's how I felt. Like my Brooklyn died, like, you know, because that was the he Brooklyn. Trailer for I ain't got no cigarettes, I 
just you know like I said I said to you before like you, you have a barbecue the whole neighborhood is out and they're in, in black and white you know, our neighborhood is, you know it's, it's it's unique it's gentrifying but still lots of black people in the, and, and you and you would have a days there where you go this is what America could be and and he's somebody who was great at facilitating that Well, I'll, I'll be thinking of you in the upcoming months. That first, that first day, whatever it happens to be, when when things things won't be quite the same. Um, but, but once I see that joy in people congregating, kind of living out all the wonderful things that you've said in attribution to uh, Lloyd Cornelius Porter, uh, I'll be thinking of you and hoping you're out there too. Yeah, and I'll just send a shout out to his family, um, Hillary. You know, Macklemore, his brother, his extended family, the Bedstein family, and just, you know, just, you know, try to give a little more. We could do that. I mean, that's what he did. Hmm. Thanks so much for talking. Oh, no problem. Thomas Piper, and you have a, a an album, Permission to Live, that's out, a YouTube page, Beat Design. You have a single, Supply Life, which is super yeah. dope. Um, yeah, thanks. I was listening to all of it this morning. Yeah, well, thank you. Man. Yeah, man. And Lloyd is actually going to be on the album. He's on a song called Just Us. He's singing background, so. Oh, bittersweet. Yeah, so, yeah, this, this whole thing is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> that we don't need permission to change the world. You and me, just us.
it's not a revolution I know you believe That we don't need permission to change the world was Just Us by Thomas Piper featuring Lloyd Porter. We'll continue on with another local story. This one put together by Objection to the Rural Contributor Jasmine. It's about CUNY and some proposed budget cuts. Take it away, Jasmine. Hello, this is Jasmine Smith on Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. The local story that I wanted to talk to you all about, I got it from a Gothamist article written by Sydney Pereira, and the title is CUNY Braces for Anticipated Budget Cuts Due to Coronavirus Pandemic. So this information is accurate as of today, May the 8th, but you'll be hearing this on Sunday, uh, Mother's Day, May 10th, 2020, so there might be some changes, but I doubt it. So the City University of New York, or CUNY, I'll call it for the rest of this, um, students and faculty at CUNY are fighting back against budget cuts as New York State prepares billions in spending reductions due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So due to the state essentially shutting down, New York State is facing $13.3 billion in revenue loss and Governor Cuomo is planning to cut state spending by $10.1 billion by the middle of this month. So this means cuts in the budgets for CUNY, SUNY, which is State University of New York Schools, mass transportation and social services that New Yorkers, and especially lower income New Yorkers, rely on daily. 
the Professional Staff Congress, or the PSC, which is a union that represents CUNY faculty, received a memo that said up to $95.3 million might be cut from CUNY. Brooklyn College and Flatbush has already been asked to plan for a 25% reduction in courses. Many CUNY students, not all, but many of them are working class and people of color. An adjunct professor at Brooklyn College named Kelsey Chatlush worries that on top of the lack of job security that adjuncts face in an average year, the proposed budget cuts would lead to bigger classes and fewer courses being available. And that's far from being an ideal situation for educators or students, many of whom were already struggling pre-corona. One student who has been impacted by the crisis is named Enrique Pena Oropesa, who goes to Queens College and lost his job due to the COVID pandemic, along with his father. And in addition to losing their sources of income, both he and his dad were hospitalized with COVID-19, and they're currently in dire need of financial support. He's had trouble accessing financial aid and calls further cuts to CUNY's budget inhumane. Michael Kink of the Budget Justice Coalition said the funding solution is taxing the rich. According to Kink, we need a billionaire's tax, a multimillionaire's tax, a pied-à-terre tax, meaning a tax on people who own property that sits vacant in New York City most of the year, but they come visit from time to time. Um, and according to Kink to finish his statement, these people have money to pay and Albany has the power to tax them. The Cuomo administration, however, is not considering tax increases despite what advocates like Michael Kink says. And it doesn't look like he's going to budge on that. I would be very surprised if he did. And this isn't in the Gothamist article, but one thing I don't think gets enough attention in the media is the ways in which a public health and economic crisis can be seen and used as an opportunity to gut services and push austerity with no intention to reverse those cuts in the future when and if things get better. So this article in particular was about a higher education, but Governor Cuomo was also in the news earlier this week because he was in talks with Bill Gates to quote, reimagine education and implied that learning in a physical building is mostly obsolete. So on the surface, it's true that there's a lot of issues that we have like with our traditional educational system, but the ideas that he's pushing are dangerous because when we're in a time of chaos and, and uncertainty, people who are actually experts on these issues and know better, they're not in a great position to push back against some of these drastic cuts. And I know that Cuomo, because of his manner, like he's become very popular because in his regular press briefings about the state's responses to the pandemic, he's been like very calm. He has PowerPoint presentations. He's using statistics like his tone is very even keeled. And especially when you compare that to what's coming out of Washington, it can seem like, wow, like this person is a breath of fresh air. But 
to be honest, like I'm very troubled by how easily people can conflate the ability to speak calmly and show statistics with competent leadership. And it shows, in my opinion, that as long as someone is presenting an idea in a way that is non-confrontational or seems relaxed, many of us are willing to believe that they have our best interests at heart, which just isn't the case. And beyond just CUNY or just New York City, I'm concerned about how legislators and politicians will continue to use the COVID crisis to justify its extreme cuts to social services and other services um, for minorities and lower income people. And we'll push hard for the cuts to continue once the pandemic is over. Um, because just in my estimation, when an organization can figure out a way to continue running with fewer staff and less financial support, the people at the top often want to keep it that way, even as circumstances change. So I'll be updating you on our Facebook page about this story and other stories um, locally and also nationally about the COVID crisis. If you'd like more information specifically on the Professional Staff Congress's response to COVID-19, you can visit their website at psc-cuny.org. That's psc-cuny.org. Thank you for listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, and thanks for continuing to support community-based free internet radio. Bye. Let's enter the world news section of today's show. Here's a story put together by Teresa Ahmed Albury is an individual who has been killed in a very horrendous, terrifying way. Here is Teresa's recap of some of that reporting and that story. Happy Sunday, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to all the mothers and mother figures across the world. This is Teresa Robinson, and I am bringing you a story that I'd like to call We Are Enough Beyond Popular Belief. I have drawn this information from TheGuardian.com, Time.com, NewYorkTimes.com, and BBC.com. Gregory and Travis McMichael were detained on Thursday by the State Bureau of Investigation in Georgia. The father and son duo were charged with murder and aggravated assault of Ahmad Arbery, a 25-year-old black man that was jogging on February 23rd when he was confronted by the pair. Gregory McMichael told police he saw Ahmad and believed he resembled the suspect in a series of local break-ins. In a so-called attempt of a citizen's arrest, the McMichaels armed themselves with a pistol and a shotgun and pursued Ahmad in a pickup truck. After a chase, the men pulled up beside him and shouted at him to stop. Travis got out of the vehicle with the shotgun. Gregory alleged to police that Ahmad then attacked Travis and that the men began fighting over the weapon before Travis violently killed him. The police officer who filed the report said the crime scene was later turned over to the Glen County Criminal Investigative Division. It is not necessarily clear if the person who filmed the video provided a statement. Ahmad's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, said police told her after the shooting that her son had been involved in a burglary before the incident, but the family says they do not believe that he committed any crime. He was unarmed and carrying nothing. 
mobile phone video of the shooting incident is now emerging all over social media. The footage was filmed by another man in the neighborhood, William Brody Bryan, who lives a few houses down from Travis. It was, it was reported that he and his family are now receiving death threats amid cries for his arrest. Gregory McMichael was not initially charged because he had worked as a police officer and a detective for the local district attorney for more than 30 years. Actions by law enforcement on the case also appear to have been delayed because of repeated conflicts of interest. Two prosecutors have recused themselves from the case since the shooting, citing professional relationships with the older McMichael. Neighboring Liberty County District Attorney Tim Durbin was the third prosecutor assigned to the case and formally requested an investigation on May 5th after the video was released and that led to the arrest of these criminals on Thursday evening. The Glenn County Police Department never requested an independent investigation of the incident and initially did not charge anyone. District Attorney Durbin stated that the Glenn County Grand Jury should make the decision on whether criminal charges should be brought in the case. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, however, grand juries are prohibited from meeting through June 12th. So Georgia was one of the first states to open up amid this crisis, but yet they delayed the opening up of the courts. Interesting. While many of us were absolutely elated to hear the arrest happen that was long overdue, it does not equal justice for Ahmad. We still need to see a conviction. And as history presents, in most cases that involve the murder of black people by white people or law enforcement officials, this is few and far between. Lee Merritt, a lawyer representing Mr. Arby's family, has called for the federal civil rights investigation to focus not only on the men who pursued Ahmad, but the broader justice system in Georgia and across the country as a whole. Over the years, Glenn County police officers have been accused of covering up allegations of misconduct, tampering with crime scenes, interfering in an investigation of a police shooting, and retaliating against fellow officers who cooperated with outside investigators. The police chief was indicted days after Mr. Arby's killing on charges related to an alleged cover-up of an officer's sexual relationship with an informant. The chief, John Powell, had been hired to clean up the department, which the Glenn County manager described last fall as suffering from poor training, outdated policies, and, quote, a culture of cronyism, end quote. Ahmaud Arbery is dead today because many white Americans dream of vigilant justice, where black people are villains of their imagination. This assumption is both a function of white America having a completely different experience with police officers than black America, as well as the hundreds of years of vilifying blackness in media and American culture. Friday would have been Ahmad's 26th birthday. The NAACP held a protest to mark his birthday, and activists all over the country ran 2.23 miles to commemorate his honor. Advocates have likewise expressed alarm over the way the shooting has been handled by police and how long it took for investigators to pursue criminal charges. Anger erupted after the disturbing video emerged all over social media on Tuesday, appearing to show the violent and seemingly unprovoked circumstances surrounding Ahmad's death. So my sentiment today is a challenging one to bring an objective perspective to an age old problem that has never been dismantled. I am black. I cannot take it off and I refuse to let it be defined as criminal, demonic, unacceptable, or less than. We are hurting 
And in the wake of all the tragedy that exists today, our hearts continue to break because we are being hunted for jogging, walking, trying to breathe, eating Skittles, and at the very core, just being. Lynching never ended, in my opinion. It just became veiled by organized propaganda and conflicting news stories about a post-racial America where multiculturalism became the synonym for diversity. Black people have always sought to end injustice for all people, but quite often no one shows up for us. Our young men feel targeted and everyone who loves them feels helpless when the systems that govern us are used to justify acts of hatred and the legalized genocide of American people. A people that built this country and has carried it over its darkest hour. A people who are now struggling to survive in COVID-19. Struggling to survive a system that has operated forever on systematic discrimination that makes us more susceptible to this virus and more susceptible to becoming succumb into the pressures and measures of inequality. Prayer is not enough. Hope is not enough. Anger is not enough. And if you consider yourself an ally, a friend, a fan to a black person, or even a human being who can identify with what it means to be disenfranchised, disregarded, or manipulated into losing your fucking mind in this society, then put some fire under your ass and speak out against the atrocity of domestic terrorism that has always been a part of American history. This manifest destiny that created the lie of the American dream. To support Ahmad's family and spread the word about this incident, you can visit the website www.runwithmod.com and share any useful information into your circles and your friends. You can also check out the Objection to the Rule Facebook page for more information on this story. Rest in peace. Happy birthday. And my deepest condolences go out to every black person in America who is hurting right now. Thank you for listening. This is Objection to the Rule. Let's take a little music break. Here's a song, Roll On by Odetta from her live recording in Switzerland, Sweden. Can't remember. It's uh, one of my favorite albums though, so. If you want to get into Odetta, who is a popular hero from the civil rights era and beyond, I would recommend checking out that live album. Here it is. Be back in a couple minutes.
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule. We've entered the world news segment of the show. Here's a story put together by Emily. It's a wonderful story. It starts out with some history that extends to the present moment. And it's uh, wonderful. Thank you very much, Emily, for putting it together. Here it is. Hey, this is Emily Scott uh, reporting for Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, today is Friday, May 8th for me, but it's Sunday, May 10th for you, the listeners. And uh, yeah, and right now I have a kind of national world hybrid story for you. Um, so I'm just going to dive right in. Um, so the story mainly comes from a May 5th New York Times article titled Irish Return in Old Favor, Helping Native Americans Battling the Virus, written by Ed O'Loughlin and Mihir Zaveri. I also got some additional background information from yourgoodoldhistory.com. Uh, so believe it or not, I chose to do a story that actually begins in the year 1847. So the potato famine, a.k.a. the Great Hunger, had begun devastating Ireland two years prior, a tragedy directly caused by an infestation by uh, of a fungus. And um, I love weird scientific names, so I'm going to give you the name of that fungus. It is the Phytophthora infestans, um, and it was a... A fungus that infected the potato crop that the poor tenant farming Irish population relied on for food. So indirectly, the conditions for the famine were created by that classic tale of subjugation and oppression of a native population by a ruling colonizer. In this case, the Irish by the British. Truly, the famine was not purely about lack of food, but about who had access to enough food. Um, and from history.com, I got the following information. Uh, Ireland continued to export large quantities of food, primarily to Great Britain during the blight. In cases such as livestock and butter, research suggests that exports may have actually increased during the potato famine. So the next part of the story requires a location jump. So we're going to pan out from mid-19th century Ireland and cross the Atlantic over to the mid-19th century Midwest United States. We're at the start of the age of global media, and as such, news of the potato famine has reached the Choctaw Nation, a group with their own fresh history of oppression. In fact, less than 20 years earlier, they had been the first Native American nation to be forcibly relocated by the United States government under the Indian Removal Act in 1831. The fatal journey from their homelands, thousands died, has come to be known as the Trail of Tears. And yet, despite such a recent tragedy of their own, as members of the Choctaw Nation heard about the potato famine, uh, quote, a great empathy was felt when they heard such a similar tale coming from across the ocean, according to the Choctaw Nation's description of its bond with the Irish. Choctaw people then gathered about $170 to send to Irish people in 1847, the equivalent of more than $5,000 today, end quote. And I got that information from the New York Times. And finally, this brings us to today and what else? The coronavirus. As the New York Times reports, uh, quote, hundreds of Irish people are repaying that old kindness, giving to a charity drive for two Native American tribes suffering in the COVID-19 pandemic. As of Tuesday, the fundraiser has raised more than $1.8 million to help supply clean water, food, and health supplies to people in the Navajo Nation and the Hopi Reservation, with hundreds of thousands of dollars coming from Irish donors, according to organizers. End quote. Another uh, piece of information from the New York Times. 
Various factors have made places like the Navajo Navajo Nation a hotspot for the virus, including a, quote, high prevalence of diseases like diabetes, scarcity of running water, and homes with several generations living under the same roof. So according to an Irish donor, quote, I'd already known what the Choctaw did in the famine so short a time after they'd been through the Trail of Tears. It always struck me for its kindness and generosity, and I see that, too, in the Irish people. It seemed the right time to try and pay it back in kind. To pay it back in kind, end quote. Uh, so shout out to my dad, uh, Mitch, who helped tip me off to this really great story. Uh, these days, it's pretty heartwarming to hear about groups of people facing all sorts of hardships, coming together to help each other despite those hardships. Um, if you'd like to donate to the Navajo and Hopi Families uh, COVID-19 Relief Fund, which has raised more than $3 million as of Friday, you can find it on www.gofundme.com f slash NHFC19 relief. Uh, that's NHFC19 relief. All right. And that's it for me on this story. Back to you guys. Thank you, Emily. I put together another story that's kind of similar to Emily's in the sense that it connects. It has its roots in history that extends to the present moment. My story is about gold mining and the gold rush. <laughs> It's not really about the gold rush. It's about gold mining. And you'll hear me talk all about it in about two seconds. Liberia gold mine collapse. This is taken from Al Jazeera and some other outlets that I'll cite while I read the story. Gold. Gold. What a strange but wonderful metal. Malleable. Visually distinct and an incredibly great conductor. It has been embraced by the world. It's never a present image, but it can be a dangerous thing. Take the gold rush, for example. The American mythos says the gold rush was a bottom-up event that inspired the nation's adventuring independent entrepreneurs to head west for their chance at wealth. While some of that did occur, the gold rush almost immediately became a a corporate affair that released an ungodly amount of mercury, a substance used in extracting the gold, into the environment. Also, the native people of the multiple areas in which gold was thought to be had were forcibly removed and their lands polluted, which further hurt the people living in the now coveted gold-rich areas. Donald Trump hasn't helped gold's reputation, Trump is known for his gaudy display of gold, like how he installed gold blinds in the Oval Office. But he has another connection to gold. Trump's grandfather, Friedrich Trump, kicked off the family's real estate legacy by building hotels and brothels in the Yukon during the gold rush. Today's pursuit of gold remains. And unfortunately, today's pursuit of gold, today the pursuit of gold remains. And unfortunately, it is still a dangerous and environmentally unfriendly endeavor, especially in Liberia, where, quote, dozens of people are missing and feared dead after an informal gold mine collapsed in western Liberia, according to officials. 14 persons ranging from ages 20 to 28 visited a mine site overnight to illegally dig gravel believed to contain gold. Four of them were entrapped, leaving two dead and two injured. Which brings me to the question, 
what is informal gold mining and how extensive is it? From phys.org, P-H-Y-S, I'm assuming they do deal with like physics or something. Quote, gold mining in the tropics is contributed to environmental damage such as deforestation and mercury emissions as well as a range of social outcomes including migration, increased health risk, and even human right abuses. I'm not sure why migration is environmental damage. Anyway, and even human right abuses. Much of the world's gold is mined by individuals and small businesses that operate without legal permits. These miners, known as informal gold miners, were estimated in 2011 to number around 16 million and to have produced 380 to 450 tons of gold. End quote. A gold-specific website called <laughs> BoolianVault.com gives a more detailed recap of informal gold mining. Quote, Gold mining output worldwide is running more than 4% higher than previously estimated, according to leading analysis, thanks to a bottom-in so-called informal projects across developing economies. These often illegal and highly dangerous projects produced around 550 tons of gold in 2018, some 15% of total global output. End quote. Actually, not end quote. I'm sorry. The quote keeps going. Alongside the underlining uptrend in world gold prices, the rise of ASM, which is the small uh, informal gold mining uh, uh, practices, the rise of ASM has been driven by population growth and a lack of economic opportunity outside subsistence farming, plus the arrival of mobile phones for pricing agreeing details and receiving payments, and growing demand from the global gold refining industry, with middlemen now going into finance, now going into finance new projects, end quote. So the irony is these countries with informal gold mining sound much more like the gold rush myth that we tell ourselves in America and like the gold rush myth we told ourselves in America, it is considerably less romantic and more dangerous than we tell ourselves. We're going to take a music break. We have a song by Antony and the Johnsons. It's from a live album. Um, one of my favorite songs. So hopefully you'll be kind of into it. This is Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. We'll be back in a couple minutes. You are my sister, we were born. So innocent, so full of need. There were times we were friends. Sometimes I was so cruel Each night I'd ask for you To watch me as I sleep I was so afraid of the night You see 
seem to move through the places that I feared you lived inside my world so softly, protected only by the kindness of your nature. You are my sister, and I. Beautiful. I love that song. This is Objection to the Rule, Radio Free Brooklyn. One final story for you. A good news story. Sorry, a good news story put together by Emily. It has to do with coal, air pollution, but it's a good news story, so uh, yeah, don't get too spooked quite yet. Here's a story from Emily. Thank you for listening. Emily Scott here, and now for some news that doesn't make you want to pull your hair out. 
this story comes from the Center for Research on Clean on Energy and Clean Air. And the center is spelled with an R-E at the end, so you know it's kind of fancy or European. Uh, and it's self-described as a, quote, new independent research organization focused on revealing the trends, causes, and health impacts, as well as the solutions to air pollution. Uh, so they published a post on April 30th titled 11,000 Air Pollution-Related Deaths Avoided in Europe as Coal, Oil Consumption Plummet. According to the center, the measures to combat the coronavirus have led to an approximately 40% reduction in average level of nitrogen dioxide pollution and 10% reduction in average level, an average level of particulate matter pollution over the last 30 days, resulting in 11,000 avoided deaths from air pollution. Uh, this effect comes as power generation from coal has fallen 37% and oil consumption by an estimated one-third. Coal and oil burning are the main sources of NO2 pollution, that's uh, nitrogen dioxide, and key sources of particulate matter pollution across Europe. Other avoided health impacts include 1.3 million fewer days of work absence, 6,000 fewer new cases of asthma in children, 1,900 avoided emergency room visits due to asthma attacks, and 600 fewer preterm births. Births. Most of these health impacts are linked to chronic air pollution exposure and will be realized over coming months and years. Uh, end quote. However, the post uh, from the center makes a point that I wanted to highlight. Uh, quote, the COVID-19 crisis is resulting in widespread human suffering across Europe. Air pollution levels are plummeting as an unintended result of measures against the virus. This should not be seen as a, quote, silver lining, but it does show how normalized the massive death toll from air pollution has become and points to what can be achieved if we shift to clean energy, end quote. And that's definitely true. Uh, you cannot say that the lives being saved by uh, better air quality somehow makes those lives lost to the coronavirus, you know, like worth it in some weird way. Um, you can't say that. So... Uh, that's just something I want to emphasize. Uh, but I, an idea I've seen a few times during all this is that this worldwide tragedy is helping us see more clearly how our ways of living are toxic. And hopefully this new clarity will lead to a cleaner future. And that is it for me, guys. Thank you. Emily. Great end story. Thank you, Teresa. That was an incredible story about Aubrey and the actions we need to take and the fire we need to feel. Thank you, Jasmine, for your wonderful story. I'm Matthew Schneeman. We are all contributors to Objection to the Rule. We'll be back again next week, and we're going off on this song, which is a uh, weird little tune that I just wrote or put together, and we need to stretch out till the 59th minute, so dig this delicious little treat for the next three minutes. Thanks. Have a wonderful week, if you can, and if you can't, help someone else. Peace. Peace.